If you're thinking of seeing a movie this week, you are in the right place. This is The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. That's the thing that killed my man. Oh boy, looks like the universe's most lethal hunter is back here on Earth. How'd that happen? We're talking to Predator. People can't see you moving and talking. But why? Because you're different. Oh, dear. Looks like the universe's least lethal honey eater is back here on Earth. Ewan McGregor stars in Christopher Robin. Stephanie... I need your help. Uh, are you okay? I'm fine, but I, I do need just a, a simple favor. From the trailers, this looks like my pick of the week. A simple favor sees the director of smash hit comedy Bridesmaids turn his hand to thriller. Hey, Margot, dad again. Why did you leave your laptop at home? I haven't been able to reach Margot. Wait, you can't find Margot? Plus, a movie told entirely through the medium of selfie. I'll tell you what I mean when we talk about searching. And can Teen Titans go to the movies, live up to the length of its name. Hello, hello, welcome. My name is Kyron Wheatley and I've seen heaps of movies, but none of those. Luckily, Vari McIntyre and Michael Campbell both have. And if we do nothing else today, we will pass judgment on all five of them. Actually, if we do one other thing, we'll give away a Village Cinema's Gold Pass double pass. That's later. First up. Do you know what my job description is? I'm in acquisitions. I look up and I catch what falls out of the sky. What's on the ship? We had the original with Arnie and Carl Weathers and then Predator 2 with Gary Busey and Danny Glover. Then the plural, Predators, with Adrian Brody and Lawrence Fishburne. And now Hollywood has deigned that we weren't done yet and they've put together a cast of well, comparatively unknown actors to drag Predator's ass back down to earth. Cambo, is it any good? I think I should address something first. I didn't like any of the trailers for this movie. <laughs> Neither I did thought I. It, I thought it looked pretty bad. It's way better than it looks. What's it about? Boyd Holbrook is the new Arnold Schwarzenegger, I guess, in this, but Great. far less muscly, obviously. Uh-huh. Uh, he plays McKenna, and he's a, uh, he's a military sniper. And when he's out on a mission one day, his entire unit is killed by the Predator. Uh, and fearing he's going to be you know, killed by the government for this, he ships some stuff home, and his son accidentally triggers the Predator gear oh, you can't leave that stuff lying around and then in comes another predator and they need to kind of uh save his son save the earth it's a great time i feel the opposite you didn't <laughs> i like was it. kind of looking forward to it and i was like yeah the trailers look all right and then i saw it and i was like yeah it was all right not as good as the original i don't think you can ever beat an original godfather is maybe the famous <laughs> yeah. only exception to that. maybe toy story Yeah, yeah. Yeah, close. But what I found interesting about this one was it was written and directed by Shane Black, who was one of the characters in the original 1987 Predator. He's Hawkins. So this is in the universe and it's in the same time frame. So it's the next coming. That seems to be the way sequels happen these days, isn't it? That they sort of jump into the same timeline. It was like the opposite of The Incredibles. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> Where and, they and all really, fit into the it's right like a, yeah. They call it a soft reboot when they do it because it is rebooting the franchise for people that may have never seen it. And it's pretty accessible. You don't need to have seen the other Predators. But for those hardcore fans that love the lore, it doesn't ignore it, which is, I think, I mean, there was a lot of problems with the other Ghostbusters that came out for a lot of different reasons. But well, I know something people were angry about is that it completely ignored the others as well. And I think Hollywood has learned that 
just call it a sequel, put a couple of references in, but you can essentially reboot it anyway. What's the Predator monster? What's his deal? They're essentially a species of alien that go hunting on different planets, and they they love the challenge of the hunt. This one is about them kind of evolving themselves, but traditionally in all the Predator movies, they're just looking for the best game. So in the original, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger is like you know the ultimate man's man in that film. So the Predator sees him as like a worthy opponent. It's a big game hunt, essentially. Predators just don't sit around making hats out of rib cages. They conquered space. But that's not what's on the horizon. Should I be worried? Probably. I think you know what is on the ship. The ultimate predators. So the characters in the film, one of them is played by Olivia Munn and she's a scientist who's brought in to study the aliens discovers that they're evolving themselves, basically. So it's this, like, new breed of predator. It's much bigger and stronger and faster. It has all this different technology and abilities than the original Predators. Because you got to up the game, don't you? There's, like, been a few, so just another one of the same isn't going to be as interesting. What I think they did well is the original Predator is like a cheese fest. It's like the apex of macho action cinema. It's very kind of silly. And then as the series went on, it started to take itself more and more seriously. I actually quite like the movie Predators, but it takes itself pretty seriously. This goes way back and it doesn't take itself seriously at all. It knows exactly the kind of 80s throwback action thing you want. People say cheesy lines. There's some pretty gruesome deaths. Well, you were talking about the cast. Keegan-Michael Key is in this, right, from Key and Peele? Yeah, they've got a lot of other actors that you might f- recognise from other films, but they haven't been in a lot of feature films, I guess. They're not like as famous. But that actor is really good. Also, there's a kid of the main character played by Jacob Tremblay, who you might know from Wonder and Room. So he's a good little actor in it as well. Look, I get it. Something went down in Mexico. Nobody wants any witnesses. We need to know if you and your man pose a threat. We're rangers. Isn't posing a threat. Kind of the point. Shane Black, that's a name I've heard of before. What else has he done? Well, he came up in the 80s. Uh, he wrote the original Lethal Weapon. Uh, oh! <laughs> but more recently, uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Iron oh, Man cool. 3, uh, The Nice Guys, which is a fantastic film. He's a rock-solid screenwriter and occasional director. How does he go with this film? Is it is it fast-paced? Is it what you'd expect from an action film? Is it a little bit different? It is. I think this film starts incredibly well. I think it does have some pacing issues at about the halfway point. I like the first half of the film uh, more than I like the second half of the film. And what I did like in the first half, they incorporate humans using Predator technology a little bit, which I thought was a really interesting concept. But by the third act, though it does come back, it didn't satisfy me the way it did. Like I think maybe the discovery of that as an idea in the first half really excited me. You mentioned the third act there. I heard that there was a lot of rewrites and then consequently the reshoot for that because when they finished the first cut, the rough cut, it was so dark. They nicknamed it the night cut. <laughs> so they were like, oh, maybe we shouldn't go down that path yeah. and we'll make it a bit lighter. So they rewrote it, reshot it, and the oh, finished product is what you see now. That sounds cheap. And there are, <laughs> there are a couple of – if you're really looking for them, you can spot them in, in movies that have been – 
reshot a little bit. You know, there's some weird green screen where you can tell, obviously, maybe your location wasn't available anymore. Yep. And there's a couple of bits like that in the third act. Oh, I didn't notice. And even the uh, the music gets very heroic, which it hadn't been for the rest of the film. So I think it sounds like a studio note being like, make him a hero, make him, you know. My favorite thing to pick up on is when you hear voiceover that's been done just to like, they've obviously cut something out. They need a line that was never shot on set. And you can just tell that they're in a vocal booth somewhere. Yeah, or that it'll be the back <laughs> of their head as they're talking, talking to somebody else. It yeah. just feels so strange. It's just such a show. Okay, so who should see this film? Anyone who liked any of the original Predator movies, Alien, all that sort of the franchise, and who wants a good action movie. Yeah, I think, you know, the Predator films vary a lot in quality. You know, Predator's great, Predators is great, the rest of them in the crossovers of Alien are kind of average. This is more towards the original Predator tier. Oh, I do like a party. Come on, babe. What should happen if you forget about me? Silly old bear. I won't ever forget about you, Pooh. I promise. Not even when I'm a hundred. We should be working this weekend, Robin. But I, I promised my wife and daughter I'd take them away this weekend. All hands on deck. You won't be coming to the cottage. Well, it can't be helped. Your life is happening now, right in front of you. What to do, what to do, what to do. What to do indeed. When I grew up, I had an Eeyore toy on my bed. I took him everywhere, right? We went on a family trip to New Zealand, and half my suitcase was taken up by a huge plush donkey. And at home, I have some of the original drawings on the wall. I'm a massive fan. I think a lot of us are like that, but that means that the stakes are raised. So please, please tell me they haven't ruined Winnie the Pooh with Christopher Robin. Definitely not for me. I love Winnie the Pooh as well. I have Winnie the Pooh pyjamas at the moment. At the moment? Yeah. So this follows an adult Christopher Robin who's played by Ewan McGregor and he's an overworked office manager and he has has a boring life, doesn't spend any time with his family and suddenly Winnie the Pooh pops back into his life and his world is turned upside down and Winnie the Pooh has lost all of his friends in the Hundred Acre Wood. So Christopher Robin has to go back and help Pooh find them. I saw someone explain this film as a big, warm hug of a film. And that is honestly one of the best explanations I've heard of it. It really is. I didn't think I missed the characters until I saw them on screen. I was like, yeah. oh, there he is. I'm so some glad pajamas. they have you know? yeah. <laughs> They haven't changed their voices. I'm so glad that it's like well, the original. They haven't. They haven't. Pooh and Tigger are still Jim Cummings, yeah. but the other animals, like Eeyore, for example, is now Brad Garrett from Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah, but his voice it does works. sort of feel Yes, into yeah, the they haven't changed old... how they sound fundamentally, mm. but yeah, it's not exactly the same voice cast. I do think it would feel different if they did have different voices, because Winnie the Pooh, his voice is so iconic. It brings all this nostalgia back because you totally. imagine the voices from your childhood coming back. It's funny that you mentioned that because originally in the film, Tigger, the voice of Tigger was Chris O'Dowd from the IT crowd. Oh, yeah. And people were so unsettled that it wasn't Tigger <laughs> that they actually got Jim Cummings to come back and then record all the Tigger lines oh, again. Sorry, Chris. Pooh, do you think you might be able to amuse yourself for a while? I've got some rather pressing work to do. House, clouds, house, tree, bush, a man, dog. Who? What are you doing? Oh, I'm playing a game. It's called Say What You See. Well, could you say what you see a little more quietly? House, grass, trees, pond. I don't know what that is. I think this film is very wholesome and sweet and, 
it's actually really well directed. It's directed by Mark Forrester, who is actually the director of World War Z. Oh, which, a different. <laughs> yeah. Movie. Versatile. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, even the opening sequence of this film, I thought was really kind of great and clever. It reminded me a little bit of Up in that it tells an entire story without any kind of dialogue. It's just pure imagery and music. And you so got tears in the first in five minutes then. A little bit like yeah. you see where Christopher Robin goes from childhood to where he is now in this kind of beautiful montage through a book. It's, it's really well done. Yeah, I enjoyed that too. But speaking to some friends afterwards, I think it did divide a lot of people because they thought it started too slow. And I do agree that the action does pick up when Christopher Robin gets back to the Hundred Acre Woods. Even without, you know, if you take away that first act where you see him and he's a because it is mundane, which is the point. The third act wouldn't work of the movie. So I understand why they put it in. Mm, yeah. And I, I think this film, especially with audience and, and its pacing, if your kid is too young, I think he might be a little bit bored. I think this goes a little older, maybe 10 or so. So it's still a kid's film. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's Disney. Yeah. They're not, yeah. not going to make anything like R-rated. No. <laughs> I wasn't expecting <laughs> R-rated. Imagine that. That two. would be good, though. <laughs> but is it still – like, am I still going to – I don't have kids. Am I going to enjoy this? Well, that's the Disney model, isn't it? It's take something you love as a kid and reboot it so you still want to see it. And they have all that nostalgia. That's what they begin to, like Beauty and the Beast, Cinderella, Jungle Book. They've got Lion King coming out. All things that we grew up with but also they still make them accessible to your kids. I think the idea is they want people of our age or maybe a little older to take their kids to go see them. Mm. Similar to what we were just talking about with Predator, these soft reboots that are happening, it's sort of a, a revisit to the original stories, but also the plot is from 30 years on. So we continue the story. We're not going right back to the start and starting again and erasing what they've got. It's... Good for people who've already know the characters and the stories of A.A. Milne and love Winnie the Pooh. And it's also good for people who don't know the stories, like younger kids and introducing it to them for the first time. How funny that these kids will grow up thinking Christopher Robin is an old man. Well, see, <laughs> because yeah. like he's just a kid for me. He's, but, like, he's, yeah. he's, he's that, me. That's why I think it's quite clever because you were a kid when Christopher Robin was a kid. But for you, you can now see yourself in Christopher Robin. So yeah. I think it's kind of clever. Who, that, are the, who are the kids going to identify with? With the animals. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Christopher Robin does have a daughter in this. And he does. She's, oh, okay. Yeah, she's the, the well child done, character. <laughs> well done, you've the, thought it through. They've okay. figured out this family film game. <laughs> oh, mother. I don't remember being cheery. <laughs> People say nothing is impossible, but I do nothing every day. No, poo, that's not the... Oh, never mind. <laughs> so who should say this film? I think if you've got a kid of between eight and maybe 12 or maybe a little bit older, uh, you'll like it because it's going to give you that nostalgia rush. But also, uh, like, Pooh is so cute. Yeah, it was adorable. So even <laughs> if you don't know Winnie the Pooh or don't like it that much, it's just a real good story. Yeah, go out, buy your kid a red balloon. You'll understand after you see the film, <laughs> but it's so cute. Want to trade confessions? No, no. Come on. What's the wildest thing you've ever done? She is an enigma, my wife. You can get close to her. You can never quite reach her. She's like a beautiful ghost. Did you just take my picture? Erase it. I guess I'm probably not the kind of person you're normally friends with. Oh, you do not want to be friends with me. Trust me. Angela Lansbury starred in the hugely popular Murder, She Wrote, where she played a crime writer who would skip from murder to murder, somehow convince the police to wander all over the crime scene, inevitably solve the crime. 
And a simple favour is like that, but it's a mummy blogger. Do I have that right? More or less, yes. Yeah. So Anna Kendrick plays Stephanie, who is a mummy blogger. She's a single mother and her kid makes a new friend at school. And so then she becomes friends with the mother, Emily, who's Classic. played by Blake Lively. Uh, one day Emily says, simple favour, can I ask you to pick my kid up from school? And then she never returns and Anna Kendrick needs to find out why. And this is a cracker of a film. It's, oh, it's The trailers look incredible. Yeah, they released an original one that didn't tell you anything. And I think everyone was kind of confused. Like, what is... Because even the the title treatments and stuff are kind of Hitchcock. Like, uh, yeah. Vertigo in particular. Exactly, yeah. Even the poster has that 50s style about Exactly. It. And the way that they're all dressed on the poster, like, the, you know, mm. the 50s kind of decor. Oh, this is a great film. It's It'll keep you guessing. I normally, I like to try and predict what happens. And I did not predict what was going to happen in this movie. Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick seem great in the trailer. Do they carry that through for the film? Yeah, they make a great pair. They seem to be very different people. I wouldn't have imagined them to be in a movie together and it's kind of like worlds colliding. Because I like Anna Kendrick from lots of comedy films like Pitch Perfect and Blake Lively from Gossip Girl, the TV series, and she's done a few other serious films. It's got this air of Gossip Girl with all the mystery and intrigue and backstabbing and uh, high society betrayals and things. Plus with Gone Girl, that that thriller as well. That is the best way I could think to describe it mm. because it is Gone Girl esque in it's a mystery where she gone. Which one was ben, Gone Girl again? Uh, ben Affleck from a few years ago, David Fincher movie, uh, where they think he's murdered his wife. He hasn't murdered his wife, but she's gone missing. That's right. It's Gone Girl esque in that aspect, but like Gossip Girl, it's a little trashier. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not saying that is as it is an insult. I love trash. Yeah, it's it's like it's kind of fun and trashy, and there's all kinds of like affairs. The more you learn about Emily's past, the more this kind of puzzle comes into it. I think. A lot of the attention in this goes to Blake Lively in all the trailers and stuff because obviously, you know, a very stunning woman. She's impeccable fashion and whatnot. But the the MVP, if you will, the most valuable player in this is Anna Kendrick because she holds down the entire movie because, I mean, as the description might tell you, Blake Lively disappears for a big chunk of this movie. And Anna Kendrick, people always remember her from like Pitch Perfect and even the Twilight movies, may forget that she's an Academy-nominated actress from mm, like It wasn't for Twilight. No, it wasn't for Twilight. Uh, and she is so good. She's so charming. She's so likable. She sells the dramatic beats, but because obviously she's been in comedies, she can make it friendly and warm and inviting. She's, I can't praise her enough. Well, I'd expect a blend like this because this is from Paul Figg, isn't it? Yes, which is another interesting choice. Obviously, he's best known for Bridesmaids and Spy and these kind mm. of Melissa McCarthy-esque yeah, broader comedy. comedies. He is big into strong female leads. It's obviously maintains that but like the big short a few years ago was adam mckay who was you know stepbrothers and uh, anchorman mm -hmm. and then he made this kind of a reverent financial crisis movie <laughs> paul fig showing that he's not just a one-trick pony he can kind of pull off this weird hitchcockian thing so this film was based on the novel by Darcy Bell and that was published in June of 2017, so very recently. And 20th Century Fox actually preemptively bought the rights to make it into a film Why? before the novel was published because they thought it was going to be good. I don't even know how they <laughs> heard about well, it. Now, if I'm doing my kind of <laughs> mental gymnastics, that would be roughly the time that Gone Girl was coming out. Oh, oh yeah. So would, so would like, it not make sense uh, an executive is watching and, and turns something and goes, get me one of these? Maybe the manuscript just passed the day because yeah. it wasn't even published yet. <laughs> and then Lionsgate took the distribution uh, when it was published in June last year. 
And since then, the publicity has been going on social media from the actors themselves. I know that Blake Lively deleted all pictures from her Instagram uh, in May this year to promote the film. She even unfollowed her husband, Ryan Reynolds, (laughs) and he did a dirty tweet back. That was funny. Um, And then she started to follow everyone named Emily Nelson, who was her character's (laughs) name. And she's like making these cryptic images on Instagram. Of organising Instagram feed. Mm. Just follow everyone with the same name around the world. (laughs) Just have a really odd picture of what it's like to be named, what is it? Emily Emily Nelson. Nelson. Imagine (laughs) being that person and then seeing Blake Lively just followed you. I mean, for a while I did live with a Jack Dawson. You better believe you got all the Titanic jokes. (laughs) That's a deep cut. That's for real Titanic fans. (laughs) No, the full name. So, I mean, other than me, I'm going to. Who should see this film? Uh, if you're a fan of some of the things we've been mentioning earlier, Gone Girl, uh, Gossip Girl, uh, if you're a fan of the cast, don't look up anything to do with the film. The colder you go into this film, the better. But it's a great time. Yeah, if you like the actors as well, as we said, Anna Kendrick, Blake Lively, I love them. They're great on screen. Also, Henry Golding is in it. My who, boy. Yeah. <laughs> the hot one from... Uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, that's right. The main we're, guy. And now we're up to date in his filmography. Yeah, on so the he, podcast. It's, <laughs> he's got one of these filming. Uh, right, well, we I can catch up on that. Can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> also in cinemas this week, The Nun. If you're as scared of nuns as I am, then you won't see this film. You know what? Give it a go, Kyron. You might like it more than you think. No, I won't. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix's latest in a long line of films that have his family worried, You Were Never Really Here, is out. Very dark thriller. This week, the Prime Minister said gay conversion therapy doesn't affect him. Well, in this film, it seriously affects Cameron Post in The Miseducation of Cameron Post. Such a charming little film. You can hear about all of those by clicking on the previous episode in whatever podcast app you're in right now. All right, just quickly, we actually have three more releases to tell you about this week. First up, John Cho stars in this thriller about his daughter going missing, but it's shot in a surprising way. This is her keychain. You told me she ran away! The vehicle was discovered late last night. $2,500 in cash was found. Something doesn't add up. Has anyone considered that it was an absolute stranger? Yeah, it's actually all through the medium of screens. So all of the characters are either looking into computers. We've got Skype, news reports, all of these the media. The selfie film. Yeah, so they're all looking at you all the time and you're just <laughs> seeing through this and it's really confronting as well. So this one is about a father who's searching for his missing daughter and he has to hack into her laptop to find clues about her. I read about this that John Cho was really concerned. He didn't want to play this character because he had to be convinced by the filmmaker because he was like, what, the entire film is shot through that first person like looking down the lens? Yeah, and you know what? As a result, I think it's one of the more interesting films that I've seen you know, this year. And I know that interesting can sometimes come as a caveat for bad. It's not. Mm. It's so kind of unique and creative. Uh, again, like Christopher Robin, the way that they convey an entire story in the opening act through computer screens, I never would have imagined would work as well as it does. It's really clever. What's really clever about this was that all of the action was filmed in 13 days and then it took a year and a half to edit because I had to put all the animation and put it together. And what the director and producer actually did before they even started shooting it was make their own mock-up movie of it and then they showed the crew and <laughs> the they were, first draft. and then the director was playing all of the characters and they showed the crew and they're like yeah this is what we're making that's, so the, that's the ultimate special it. feature on a dvd <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> like the just original watch version. the film again <laughs> who needs a director's commentary when you have a, the director starring in the movie <laughs> having a movie is the only way to be seen as a real hero what about an arch nemesis 
saw a trailer of some teen versions of superheroes animated in classic Saturday morning Disney style going to the movies, wishing they had their own movie and thought, oh boy, are we done with the superhero movies yet? Can we be? But then I watched the trailer and it really made me laugh. So that's annoying. <laughs> is, this, is this good? I'm is in the exact same Titans boat as you. I was good. so ready to hate this film. I don't think I'm an entitled fan or anything. I don't mind when things change. But all through high school, I read a lot of comics. And a lot of my comic nerd is about to come out. And I saw it and I was like, what? Are you is, ready, Barry? What is this? <laughs> Should we sit down? But my God, is this film funny and like super respectful to all of that stuff as well. Yeah, you were laughing a lot. I was <laughs> laughing so much. I really like this film. But is it references that you get as a comic fan that I'm not going to understand? To uh, be fair, there's look, even one of those in the trailer where I was like, I don't understand what yes, just happened. Yes, there are a lot of deep cut references. It's not like you're not going to laugh. You know, I think there's general knowledge, Batman's parents have died, uh, you know, Wonder Woman comes from an island, things like that. There's jokes about that. But there's also an obscure joke about the challenges of the unknown, which is a very obscure DC reference that I had a chuckle at, but I think I was maybe the only one. So Superfan loves yeah. it. Vari, how did you find it? I think I'm a middling fan. So I do like superhero <laughs> movies, but I haven't read all of the comics and I'm not like deep into the lore. And I still enjoyed it. It was so funny. They walked a very fine line between getting it right for kids and adults. Mm. And they did such a good job. So there's like fart jokes and toilet humour for kids and it's bright and colourful and loud. But there's also those references to superhero movies. So the plot of this one is that Robin, Batman's sidekick, has his little posse of friends and they want their own superhero movie so they can be taken seriously. So it pokes a lot of fun at superhero movies. Yeah. Is this classic DC throwing anything at a wall? Probably, but trying much to beat like Marvel Wonder Woman, sometimes it sticks. Yeah. <laughs> and they even make fun of Batman vs Superman in the film. There's jokes about mothers having the same names. They're very up for making fun of themselves, which I think is an important thing in a movie like this. Yeah, and the Green Lantern movie as well that Ryan Reynolds had made years ago is universally considered a flop and people try to ignore that. So there's a Green Lantern character that comes in as well and he's like, we don't talk about that. Just a young girl with the quick view. Making movies about every superhero. Has there been a movie about you? There was a Green Lantern movie, but we don't we don't talk about that. One of my favorite things that they did, which is super deep cut, but also just kind of fun, is Superman in the film is voiced by Nicolas Cage. And anyone <laughs> that is big into kind of movies that never happened, the godfather of movies that never happened was Nicolas Cage was going to play Superman, and he's finally got his chance. I love that they did that. <laughs> So other than super fans such as yourself yeah. who should see this film? If you like all the DC and Marvel movies and you've got a kid, this will entertain both of you. I have a lot of nerd and cosplay friends who I think would love to see these lesser known DC characters on screen. So if you're a big fan of those movies, you'll love it. We've talked a lot about reboots this week, haven't we? Uh, for your chance to win a Village Cinema's Gold Class Double Pass... Start thinking about this question. Which film do you think needs a reboot, a reprise, a remake? So if you want to win a Village Cinema's Gold Class Double Pass, go to our socials, Facebook or Instagram. You'll find our post there and answer the question, what film do you think needs a reprise, a reboot, a remake? Next week, Rowan Atkinson is back as the opposite of James Bond in Johnny English Strikes Again. If you can't get enough of Australian films set in the 1950s, then Ladies in Black looks like a great one. Smallfoot tells the story of a little group of Bigfoots who believe in humans. And The House with a Clock in Its Walls is a Harry Potter for the next generation. Until then, thanks, Cambo. Thank you. Thanks, Barry. Cheers. I'm Kyron Wheatley, and we'll see you, or at least you'll hear us, next week on The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas.